Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Alicia. And I'm Charlotte. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine, women in general, you know, the, the shtick. Yeah. And you can also find and follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, which are all at From Skirts to Scrubs. We also have a Twitter, which is at FSTS underscore podcast. And you can also check out our website for more information on episodes, show notes, sources, and more at fromscrubs.com. Yep. And you can subscribe to our podcast on all the podcasting apps. And you can leave us a rating and review. If you'd like, Apple Podcasts is the best place for that. But you can also check out Spotify. Yeah. So welcome back to our mini series. Yay. I know We're that back. the yes, I know the last month has been a break from the mini series. We had a super cool bonus episode for you, and then we brought back an old episode, which is always fun as well. But if you missed the mini series, don't worry, we are back. This episode three, and we have three more coming after this. So yeah, let's get into it. So today we're going to be talking about a very, very common disease syndrome that I promise anyone listening probably knows someone who has this, and this or they probably have it, or like, they have it themselves. Everyone- Yes. I think everyone has this to Honestly, some degree. If you're anxious, you have this. Yes. And we will talk about that. So we are talking about irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. This is a syndrome that involves having a very irregular bowel habit, usually in the form of diarrhea or constipation or both, honestly. So we have like team IBSD and team IBSC, basically. It's <laughs> literally. I love that. It's super common in women, which is why we're talking about it today. And also before we get into it, I I just want to clarify super quick that IBS and IBD are different. So we don't get that. So different. Yeah. So extremely, extremely different. And it's like very normal to get them confused, which is why I want to point out that we're talking about IBS S today, which is irritable bowel syndrome. We are not talking about IBD which is Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. Those are two super different diseases than IBS. So that's the only time I'm going to talk about it. I just want to clarify it right now, right at the beginning. And with that, let's get into it. But Alicia, do you have any tidbits about IBS that you want to add like before we get started? I will say I didn't know that IBS for a long time was divided into IBS, C, and D. But now that I know that, I'm like, I feel like I have to label someone as one or the other, but yeah. I guess whatever you could, you could theoretically have both. I don't know. You can, there is a mixed type. So you definitely can have that both. sucks. That's fair. I also didn't know that until I was in med school, but okay, let's get into it. Let's do it. Okay. So what is IBS? Like it's irritable bowel syndrome, but like, what does that mean? So. Let's start with a little epidemiology. It is one of the most commonly diagnosed medical problems in the world. The prevalence of it, meaning like how many people have it, is upwards of 35% of like the world population, which is crazy. It also is about 12% of all medical office visits. Like that 12% Mm. is related to IBS. So it's like a very large part of the medical like system system mm-hmm. and it honestly like it's a lot of medical money goes towards ibs too which is kind of interesting um but the definition of like what ibs actually is is hard to pinpoint because the symptomology is super broad and we'll talk about the symptoms more in a bit but it's just like hard to put a real diag like a real explanation on what ibs is but 
when you talk about it, it really just comes down to like a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning that Mm -hmm. when you go see a GI specialist, which are the type of doctors, like a gastroenterologist is the type of doctor that deals with anything that has to do with your GI tract from your mouth to your anus. That's when GI specialists will like focus on. But what I mean by diagnosis of exclusion is that they have to rule out every other big bad disorder that like could be affecting your bowels before they can conclude that you have IBS. So it's a very long and like often very frustrating process for patients to get diagnosed with IBS because you have to go through this like extensive medical testing to make sure you don't have any Mm -hmm. other like major disorder that's like more of a threat to your like life basically than IBS is because IBS isn't going to like kill you. It's just a chronic condition. But there are some like ideas of why IBS occurs I want to talk about briefly. So do you have any ideas, Alicia, actually, of like why IBS, like what causes IBS in the body? There's like a lot of different things that go into why they think IBS occurs. One is like an infectious component. So one in 10 mm. IBS patients say that their symptoms began after having like an infectious like course. So maybe they had like gastroenteritis or something or whatever, Mm. and now they have IBS. So that happens in one in 10 patients. And they think it has something to do with like immune activation within your bowels. So this is also where psychological factors are thought to play a role in one way in IBS, because someone who is very stressed, so very anxious, very stressed, is really high, like cortisol levels, they have a higher immune activation within their body. So you just have have more inflammation in your body when you're in really stressed conditions, which is why like high stress is a risk factor for like quite a few different problems people can have. And one of those is IBS. Mm-hmm. So this can be because higher immune activation means higher inflammation within your intestines leading to an irritable, irritable bowel. Another mm-hmm. idea is that there are, so there are serotonin receptors in your GI tract, which I feel like if you've never heard of this before, you're like, what? Because in like the lay world, serotonin is always talked about as like the happy hormone that like if you have depression, you have low serotonin. And like that's kind of how it's talked about in social media. There is serotonin in your GI tract and it plays like a large role in like nausea, in diarrhea, things like that. So because it has such a large role in your GI tract, they do think that serotonin probably and like how your serotonin receptors are working in your body um, may play a role in IBS because it can control motility of your bowels, sensation in your bowels, mm. secretion of your body and things in your bowels resulting in like a bunch of different symptoms. There's also, while we talk about like psychological factors, there's a strong evidence to support that people with a history of abuse have like higher risk of having IBS as well. Mm, kind of interesting. I believe that. So like History of abuse, you're gonna it's gonna lead to like higher stress levels, more anxious, like just you being more anxious in general. So it's all linked to IBS. And along those lines, like you meant Alicia mentioned, is that anxiety is very closely linked to IBS. So anxiety and depression is a comorbidity in IBS patients a lot of the time. Yeah. It that makes it like complicated in a way. So when IBS patients are trying to get diagnosed. And they're just seen a lot of times as like this anxious, bothersome patient who's like always worried about how their bowels aren't functioning right. And that can be hard for patients to get um, like a clear diagnosis or like be listened to. 
when you think about mm. it. So just something to ponder. But it's it's a difficult situation to be in because anxiety like does have a strong link to IBS. There's also this thing where like, so like, all your hormones in your body have tracks. Usually they start like in your brain and they go to some other organ that releases that hormone and that hormone does something on your body. And that's basically how like all the hormones in your body work. And it's the same with your gut. So you have hormones in your brain that go to your gut, tell you, tell your like GI system what to do, resulting in like different types of bowel movements. So this also could be like from having anxiety, depression, stress, it's that same pathway happening. Mm-hmm. Other than that, there's like tons of other theories of why IBS occurs. So it could be due to like your fiber intake. There's been like studies look at antibiotic usage leading to different types of IBS, bladder dysfunction, food sensitivities that we'll talk about because there's a specific diet that helps IBS patients control their symptoms. There's just a lot of things going on. So, and also not a clear answer of what IBS is caused by because they're not a hundred percent sure. And we'll talk a little bit more about it later when we, why, when we talk about why women, but that's just kind of like a basis to tell you the different types of reasons people think IBS is occurring. So, okay. What are the actual symptoms IBS patients experience other than the obvious problems with pooping? First off, like I said before, there are multiple different types of IBS. So you have a constipation type, diarrhea type, and mix. So team C and team D and kind of a team M as well. Um, (laughs) Well, there's a lot of other symptoms that people get as well. So you can get abdominal pain, super common, cramping, gassiness, bloating, like fullness sensation. You can also experience like non-GI related symptoms. So anxiety and depression or psychological ones. You can also have dysmenorrhea. So like really painful period symptoms. You can have dyspareunia, which is like painful sex. You can have impotence, urinary frequency, and more. And this is super interesting. I know you're going to love this, Alicia. One article I read found that 83% of patients with IBS experience sexual dysfunction. Whoa. Yeah. Compared to 13% of patients who do not have IBS experience sexual dysfunction so it's like very that's so interesting but that's it's curious because i wonder how much like anxiety plays a role in that versus like just the ibs itself but it's probably like still interesting that's the thing with comorbidities though is they all like play into each other and that's you know they make each other worse so i would totally understand but i was i was read that i was like wow that's so interesting um so yeah you're probably thinking like wow there's a lot of handful of symptoms here And it's true. And that's why it's like hard to diagnose IBS. But there are some like tests you can do to help with the diagnosis process. So you think you have IBS, you go to the GI doctor. They're like, okay, we got to rule out all these other things. We got to rule out Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, all these other things to make sure you have IBS. So what they're going to do is they're going to scope you for one. So they'll do like an endoscopy, which is scoping through your mouth or colonoscopy, scoping through your bum to make sure everything looks good in your GI tract. And if it does look good, then it's more likely you have IBS because unlike diseases like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, those IBD diseases create defects in your intestines walls. So like they can literally see these visually apparent defects. In IBS, you do not have those. Like your colon and your intestines like look pretty normal, honestly, from mm-hmm. the normal eye. 
Um, other than that, you can also get a lot of other tests to rule things out. So you'll get like parasite tests done. They'll make sure there's no blood in your stool, no infections. Mm-hmm. They'll make sure you don't have any malabsorption disorders. Make sure you don't have celiac disease. You don't have lactose intolerance and even check you for colon cancer. So once these diseases are ruled out, IBS can start to enter the picture a little bit more. And so there's actually this one thing called the Rome criteria. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Alicia. Yeah, I definitely have. <laughs> I only say this because my family medicine clerkship director like loves talking about this criteria. It basically I- like helps define IBS. So the way it yeah. goes is you have to have 12 weeks of symptoms. It doesn't have to be consecutive 12 weeks, just 12 weeks within the last 12 months of abdominal pain or discomfort that cannot be explained by structural or biochemical abnormalities, which is like all that other testing I just talked about. You got to get all that done and all that has to be normal. Then you have to have abdominal pain and discomfort for that period of time, along with two of the following. Pain relieved by defecation, change in frequency of bowel movements, or change in the form of stool. Or you have to have two or more of the following within the last 25% of the days that like the time period is. You have to have altered stool frequency, altered stool forms, altered stool passage, or bloating abdominal distension. So that's like the Rome criteria for diagnosing IBS that they use. Mm, Um, Depending on like how well controlled or not uncontrolled your IBS is, like it can be quite annoying for your life. So speaking of how to control it, like how do we treat it? There's no like one perfect treatment for IBS because we don't 100% know why it's happening. There's no cure. Really, you're just like symptomatically treating at this point. So if you have constipation, then you're going to treat with laxatives and stool softeners. If you have diarrhea, then we're going to treat with anti-motility agents. If you have pain and like spasms in your stomach, then you'll use anti-spasm drugs and even sometimes antidepressants because of things like serotonin working in your GI tract. The antidepressants can help one if you have comorbid depression and two because the things that anti the hormones antidepressants work on also occur in other parts of your body which is why antidepressants are used for a lot of disorders that aren't psychological um Mm. and then lastly there's like a lot of lifestyle modifications that you can do to help control your ibs so if you have ibs c then maybe you need more fiber in your diet if you have ibs d you need to reduce the fire fiber in your diet and you need to reduce other things such as fat, how much coffee you drink, how much tea you drink, and any tobacco use. Those are big. And then lastly, there's a thing called the FODMAP diet, which we've been kind of talking about. So the FODMAP stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. They're short chain carbs that are mm. poorly absorbed and poorly digested within your GI tract. So Really, when I say it's a diet, it's not that you should be eating these things. It's opposite. It's a list of things that you should be avoiding. And uh-huh. it's actually like works pretty well if you follow it really well and have a, a diet that's low in the FODMAP foods, which are the foods that you should not be eating, then it can relieve gut symptoms in up to 75% of patients with IBS. So it's pretty good. Wow. But the foods. So like, what are the foods in them? Yeah, I'll give you some examples. So some common foods that are high in FODMAPs, which are like all those short chain carbs, include wheat, rye, blueberries, walnuts, beans, chickpeas, kiwis, garlic, like basically. Bro, that's everything. Yes, it's a ton of like 
very common in arguably healthy foods that are high in these carbs. So it's like actually a really hard diet to follow. Um, so yeah. it's not like a perfect solution. And so like a lot of the treatments are not perfect, which is why a lot of people struggle with IBS symptoms a lot. Yeah. So, I would struggle for surzies. Yeah. That would be hard. Diet, like changing your diet to help treat anything, diabetes, like anything that diet is helpful for is, is difficult in general. And like yeah. doctors recognize that. Um, and the FODMAP is also like very difficult. So yeah, IBS, not super fun. You know, having issues with your pooping, not fun. But no, let's talk about a little bit of like, has it always occurred in women primarily? Or like, what's the deal with IBS history? So I found a little bit for you guys. The earliest recollection of IBS is from Hippocrates. He described as a triad of symptoms, including abdominal discomfort, irregular bowel movements, and bloating. And then this has been like continuously described for centuries. And from what I can tell, until about like the 18, early 1900s, that's when like more IBS stuff started to come up. So there was a book called The Principles and Practice of Medicine where they spoke of tenuous mucus that might be slimy and gelatinous and frog spawn. Oh, frog spawn that is looking. so gnarly. Jesus. Apparently, so some people had cell debris within their stool that they called intestinal Ew. sand that they'd bring to the oh. doctors and let them examine. Ew. Yeah, gross. Um, so this is like when they, they're like, okay, we think this is IBS. Like maybe people are having issues basically with their pooping and they're coming to the doctor. Some doctors theorized it was caused by something called colonic spasm. So not, mm. like your colon was spasming. You shed all the dead spell, yeah. dead cells out. And, but they couldn't like mm. really look at it because there was no contrast studies at that time. So like usually right. now if we're trying to look at your GI tract, you'll like drink this thing called contrast and then they'll get like an imaging study of you and you can like visualize your GI tract on a scan or on like an x-ray um but they didn't have that then so they thought it was called colonic spasm and that was causing this intestinal sand whatever that means later in like the 1900s there was a book and a doctor who defined IBS by colic constipation dyspepsia um, emotional instability and depression so we're seeing a little bit of a link here between like the symptomology and it kind of like starts the psych part really starts to play a role now so many physicians started to believe that there was a strong psychopathological role in ibs and like i mentioned earlier like they're not wrong but i yeah. do think some of the thoughts go a little far so one of the doctors thought that ibs might simply be a visceral expression of a personality disorder what <laughs> a little far right like mm, yeah I don't think personality disorder tough. is causing your bowels to uh not work there's also a doctor who believed that IBS patients were hysterical. Love. Great. Love it. Hysterical, hypochondriacs, depressed, self-centered people. Um, oh, so yeah. That's funny. Yep. <laughs> One other doctor said IB- IBS patients, and I quote, are an army of hypochondriacs that will never be happy until their stools confirm to whatever ideal they have invented for themselves. Wow. Yeah. That person feels so strongly about IBS. <laughs> no. It's like the most condescending like, thing really, I've ever heard. Those are, those are bold words, man. Bold statement about IBS patients. So like I said, like there's 100% psychological factors in IBS, but like some of the doctor's ideas in the 1900s went a little too far in like making it seem like it was just the like psychological factors that were causing people to be worried about their poop when really they have real actual issues going on 
with their bowels. And yeah. that's anxiety just plays into it. So yeah, as we know, history and even today, women tend to be seen as hysterical patients. And when IBS presents in women most of the time, it's not a great combination. Yeah, so it's a manageable condition, but it can take like work and it's often, fr- often like frustrating to get diagnosed, resulting in IBS mm-hmm. being like quite chronic of a condition. Yeah, so, but let's talk about why women, like why does it occur in women more than men? What do you think, Alicia? Like what makes women different than men at like a basic biological level? Hormones? Yes, hormones. Exactly. That's it. That's all. So the prevalence of IBS is two to three times more in women than men. And this is seen worldwide, except except for in India and Sri Lanka. What? (laughs) Yeah. Where? Why? Dudes have it more than women? So there's no gender difference that, like me said, and I was trying to look it up and read about more, and I couldn't find like an actual reason. The only thing I saw is that people kept saying like, oh, because of cultural reasoning. And the only thing that explained what that meant was that they think that men just go to the doctor more in India and Sri Lanka than women. Uh, So men just get diagnosed more. Get diagnosed more. That was the only explanation I could find in my like brief research. But but yeah, in general, why women more than men? So we already know that stress hormones play a role in IBS. So why wouldn't sex hormones as well? So they do. So there's a couple of different things that play into this. One, certain IBS symptoms can be worse around menstruation, which is interesting because basically what they believe is that estrogen and progesterone, the two female like mega sex hormones, can inhibit smooth muscle contraction, which is the type of muscle you have in your intestines, which can lead to more constipation. So women actually have the IBS C type more commonly. So women have- I believe that. That makes sense. Yes. Women have IBS-C more commonly, most likely because estrogen and progesterone inhibit smooth muscle contraction, leading to your bowels. Like, they usually have this thing called peristalsis, where they contract, and they're kind of, like, pushing your stool through, which allows you to, like, have a consistent pooping schedule. But if they're not doing that because they're being inhibited, then you have constipation. So that's common. But during menstruation, it's the opposite, because your hormone levels are quite low when you're menstruating. So diarrhea is more common during your menstrual cycle, which is definitely a thing because period poops are a thing. Um, Mm. So you could have like a mixed type or could feel like you have a mixed type as a woman because you could have constipation when you're not menstruating and diarrhea when you are menstruating, which is kind of interesting. Also more things on hormones and IBS. Women who are are on hormone replacement therapy, especially like postmenopausal women, have more symptomatic IBS than women who do not take hormones. Oh, also makes sense. Yeah. Also, there was a study from Iceland that looked at women with dysmenorrhea, so like very painful periods, and they turn out to have worse IBS symptoms than patients without dysmenorrhea, which also makes sense because a lot of times dysmenorrhea is, is it like, like the IBSD type. Or? I don't know. It didn't say to be honest. Oh, okay. But dysmenorrhea, like a lot of times, you have really high progesterone causing all these like more symptomatic symptoms, and if progesterone is causing you to have more IBS symptoms. And dysmenorrhea would also cause you to have more IBS symptoms. True. Very interesting. Um, but so women have IBS C more often, and men have IBS D more often. Um, mm. so an interesting thing is that like most people with IBS are women, but there are men who have IBS as well. And when looking at it, like one study looked at hormone levels in men, and it turned out that men with IBS have lower 
testosterone and LH levels than men without IBS. So that's just an interesting tidbit. Um, interesting, yeah. As well. Um, there's also some data that looks at sex differences in gut microbiomes, but there isn't great evidence yet to like really give a solid conclusion. It's just something that they've started to look into to see if like the gut microbiomes and men versus women are different, if that will play a role in IBS. But just like the gut microbiome world in general is something that's like really getting like dove into within within medicine. And they're not really sure how it plays a role in IBS yet. That's just like something new in research. But I mentioned. Yeah. Um, it is very cool. One of my friends is doing a PhD in that. Gut microbiome and Gut microbiomes are super cool. And lastly, IBS has many common comorbidities, like we talked about earlier, such as like anxiety and depression. But a lot of them are common issues that women have. So fibromyalgia is a common comorbidity. Mm. We are going to do an episode on fibromyalgia. So sneak peek for next time. Um, chronic fatigue syndrome, migraines, like all of these issues or other like comorbidities are super common in women. And so it mm-hmm. makes sense that they are comorbid IBS, which is also more common in women. There's also the idea that women's pain perception is different than men. And so there's a gender difference within like the pain perception and how that might be leading to IBS mm. as well. Yeah. So gender differences in pain is actually an episode we already talked about. So you should check that one out. It's a little bit longer and it actually dives into like gender differences in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like a little information on why like women, why women and like more like things about IBS. So to end the episode, I just want to talk about some like personal stories about IBS. Alicia, if you have any like fun stories to give, I have a couple tidbits that are kind of fun. Um, Alicia and I were joking right before the episode starts that IBSC not as fun to joke about. Like having constipation is like <laughs> not like a funny thing. But- and we both like think we have IBSC. Yeah. But IBSD is like inherently just more funny because like everyone ever loves poop jokes. It's just how humans are built. And diarrhea just ends up being funnier than constipation. Like, that's just how I I don't don't make the rules, okay? It's just how it is, (laughs) to be honest. So with that, I have some funny, like, IBG stories. So basically, one of my friends, I asked her, my roommate definitely has IBSD. And I asked her if she had any funny tidbits. And she said that she was, like, terrified as a child to ever eat, go get ice cream with her friends. Because she knew she would have to poop, like, immediately. So it's, like, a little lactose intolerant as well. She hundred percent has IBSD. That's heart so 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 interesting because my one of my roommates also has like lactose intolerance and IBSD. With IBSD, yes. And she, her thing is that um, she when like we'd be or when she was on medicine, like her medicine rotation, yeah. Um, she would like get so nervous before rounds that she'd have to like run to the bathroom and every morning before rounds she was like she'd have like the nervous poops yeah so that's the other thing is like i said stress equals ibs basically and med students are like so stressed like all the time so the prevalence is probably so much higher in the populations that alicia and i like hang out with i know i think one of my other friends i mean i like probably know lots of people with ibs 
C, but I think IBSD, I feel like less like I know people. Yeah. But I do have another friend who she like doesn't believe IBS is real. She like for a long time thought that IBS was IBD. And I was like, bro, no, there's we're no difference. School. That's why I had yeah. to make that distinction at the beginning. Very important. Super different. Diseases. We got into a whole heated argument about it once. I was like, no, IBD is so bad. Yes. Like, <laughs> that IB- IBD is like detrimental to your life. Um, IBS is not. It just sucks all the time. Yeah. So one of my other friends, this is funny. So to start off, I texted like my giant group chat of med school friends, like everyone that we're close with throughout all four years has like 30 people in it. And I said, random question, everyone who thinks they have IBS, please like this message. Who doesn't think they have IBS, please like this message. And basically I would say like 10 people liked each message and of people who don't think they have IBS, like eight out of 10 were, were men dudes yeah of the people who do think they have ibs nine out of ten were women after i texted that in my friend group and everyone was like laughing about how everyone has ibs or doesn't one of my friends was like seriously guys how did you get through taking step two which is the nine hour exam without pooping yourself (laughs) it was so funny we're like lots of medicine for people who that That is so funny um but yeah that's my story those are my stories i love those those are good I don't have any like additionally funny stories besides the fact that I like take Miralax <laughs> often and especially when I'm traveling or like when I'm yeah stressed or if I'm on like a really hectic service for med school I like can go like a couple days without pooping and I'm like yeah. this is not it man this is like so uncomfortable it's tough so it is tough, but that's that's it. <laughs> I feel for people with like really bad IBS. I'm like that is very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's just like um, an issue. It's just like so, so annoying. It's on the toilet at all times. So, yeah, that's why we want to talk about it today. It's super re- relevant in women, and um, just like every other disorder in this mini series. So, hope you guys learned some stuff about IBS. And if you have IBS, I'm sorry, it sucks for sure. Definitely talk to your doctor if you feel like you need to. And in the meantime, subscribe to our podcast. We put out episodes <laughs> every other week on Tuesdays. You can learn more. And also leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Yes. And while you're at it, follow us on social media. Check out our website for show notes, sources, merch, and more. And lastly, here is to the women who fought for us to be where we are today, who made it through their IBS. And may we do the yeah. same for those who come after us. Yes. For sure. All right, everyone. See you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye.